On the next couple of Discover the Word podcasts, Elisa Morgan is going to explore with Mark DeHaan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day the uh, subject of prayer. I love this quote from Philip Yancey. He writes in his book, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? He says, why does prayer rank so high on surveys of theoretical importance and so low on surveys of actual satisfaction? Yeah, we know that prayer is important, but we have so many questions. And for the most part, we feel like we're not as good at it as we should be, and we should be praying more. So be part of the group as they use one of Jesus' prayers as a model for a series called When We Pray Like Jesus. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Great to have you in your spot at the table. And you know, whenever we ask listeners what ranks high on the things they'd like us to study with them, well, prayer is almost always near the top of the list. And I imagine it's for the reasons that Elisa mentioned in that quote from Philip Yancey. We know we should. We know it's important to pray. But so many questions make it tough to get our minds around what we're actually doing and if it actually does any good. And so I think these two podcasts will help. I really do. Elisa will be leading the conversations this time around. And she'll be sharing with us what she calls a pop, a perspective changer, that came from her study of one of Jesus' prayers. In fact, she wrote a book on it called When We Pray Like Jesus. And more about that as we get into this study of a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his crucifixion. And in this study, we're going to use the image of a coin to help us understand what it's like when we pray like Jesus. All right, so let's get started with part one. What problems do you guys have with prayer? Doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Doing it. What he said. (laughs) Okay, Daniel, what are you going to say? I would say sometimes I struggle with speaking from the heart Mm -hmm. because I kind of get into a rhythm of routine prayer. Mm -hmm. And often I'm saying things and thinking about it later like, do I really mean what I just said? It's like talking without knowing what you're Mm -hmm. saying. Exactly. Prayer is so hard to do and it's so hard to maintain focus because you get a million distractions flying through your head. It's funny. Sometimes I will be worrying and a bit later I realize I can't believe I've not been praying. Other times the worry just seems to immediately translate, convert into prayer, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I don't know what to pray Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. And notice I didn't say, do you have problems with prayer? My question was, what problems do you have with prayer? Because I think we all have Mm -hmm. struggles with prayer, Mm -hmm. you know, focus, doing it, recognizing we're not praying and we're being anxious instead of praying. I mean, you could have millions of maybe struggle with when to pray, what to say. Mm what to do when nothing seems to happen. We struggle with answers to prayer. Why do we do it if we don't see answers? And then we have to learn to listen, oh, different kinds of answers than what I expected. Mm. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. And I know there are many among us who have amazing prayer lives and they don't even know what we're talking about right now. And they're like, Elisa, let me take you to school. You're at the table. So let us hear from you through social media and et cetera, because we have lots to learn on this. Mm. But it's been a struggle for me, this topic of prayer. And so we're going to start a two-week series on prayer. And I'm super excited about it because this is a kind of a pop. It's a paradigm shift that I've seen in scripture. And it's a prayer that I learned from Jesus. Mm -hmm. Before we go deep into it, can we think of different words that Jesus prayed that we have in our Bibles? What did Jesus pray and what can we learn from him through what he prayed? I immediately think of, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. Where did he pray that, Daniel? When he was on the cross, right before his death. It's a big prayer. I think of his prayer at uh, Lazarus' tomb, Mm -hmm. when he basically didn't ask for anything. He just said, Father, I'm here for you, so that you'll be honored. You know, it's a great prayer. That is. I'm thinking right now of the night, the evening of his betrayal. Remember, he's with the disciples and the it's called his high priestly prayer, or he's mm-hmm. praying that they would be one as he is one with the Father. Yeah. That's and in John. John yeah. 17. Right. Yeah. That is really powerful. And you can hear that prayer as you're describing it, Mart, stretching over the centuries, the mm-hmm. millennium. Yeah. That actually sets context for the prayer we're going to be looking at. I want to look at a prayer that's contained in three of the four Gospels. 
and actually mentioned in the fourth gospel as well, alluded to in the fourth. And it's a surprising prayer. It's the prayer from Luke twenty-two forty-two, and it's actually also mentioned in Matthew and in Mark. But it's a very simple prayer we've heard a million times. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. My translation says, take this cup of suffering from me. And we need to get in and unpack what it is Jesus is talking about. But what's happened to me is I've spent some time in that one sentence is I've been blown away. How does Jesus pray two seemingly opposite mm-hmm. requests in one sentence? Yeah. Take this cup, what I want, yet not my will, what you want, God. He does that in one sentence. And why is this included? Of course, it's a cup of suffering, as you said, Mart, and it's a prayer that's pivotal right before he goes to the cross. But how could he do that? How could he pray both sides at once? I've coined a phrase for it. It called the prayer coin, praying with honest abandon, these two sides. Probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus on prayer is the Lord's Prayer. We think about it as formulaic, and in a way, that's a great word for it, because there is a formula to it. Remember the context for it? How does Jesus actually give this verbiage of, this is how you should pray? Well, it's in contrast to the way the religionists of his day were praying, which was very formalistic, very showy, very much for performance sake, to look good in front of the people. And then Jesus says, this is the heart of real prayer and takes them a different direction. Yeah, and it's not just with prayer. In that passage, Jesus is addressing how you fast. Mm -hmm. Don't fast in such a way where everybody looks at you and says, wow, how great of a job you're doing. He does it with prayer, does it with giving, Mm -hmm. talking about how you shouldn't give so everybody sees it and thinks how great you are. So there's this whole section of Jesus' teaching where he's saying, you know, living out this faith is not about showing off for others, but is about this, what Jesus says is a secret mm. walk mm. between you and God and keeping it there. So it's having a true heart. It goes, yeah. yeah. I think what's so compelling about it in Matthew 5, this is Jesus' first major teaching address. And he's going right, to use your word, Mark, to the heart of the issue, mm. as opposed to all the formalism that was part of his generation. Prayer is something that comes from relationship. It comes from the heart. And we're going to see that in Jesus' garden prayer, this two-sided prayer. But let's just quickly read the Lord's Prayer. Let's read it from Luke 11, 1 to 4. And remember the context. I'm going to start it off. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And then in verse 2, Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And in the version in Matthew 6, there are a few different words there, but it goes on down. It's interesting that we started out what words of Jesus, his prayers, stand out to you. And one of you said, forgive them, they know not what they do. And here it is, the bookends of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I think there's a lot to learn in the Lord's Prayer, and please hear that, because it comes from the heart and because it is how Jesus answers when the disciples say, how do we pray, Lord? I mean, that's the preamble. But what's fascinating is that the prayer in the garden, Jesus goes and he asks his disciples, to sit with him, to stay with him while he prays, to listen to him, to keep watch with him, and then to not fall into temptation. So there is an invitation to join me in this prayer as well. And so as we dig into this two-sided garden prayer, I hope we'll listen to the echoes of the Lord's prayer, of Jesus' words from the cross, and then also take them into the garden where he wrestles. I want us to look at how in the world could Jesus pray both sides of this prayer at one time? And if he did, could we? Well, the relationship that you're seeing between the Lord's Prayer, I haven't thought about that with the struggling prayer of the garden. But I heard immediately some things, you know. There's some correlation. Yeah, there's some correlation. 
And I was hearing the same thing with the prayer at Lazarus's tomb in John 11. He opens up, Father, holy be your name. And the whole prayer at Lazarus's tomb is about honoring the Father and his name and his presence. Right. There. Yeah. And you mentioned it's not about being formulaic, but a model. At the same time, sometimes I need a little bit of formulaic praying because I am extra tired one morning mm. or I really don't know what to say. Mm. It's a place and, to start, uh, isn't Or I it? don't even, you know, we have those passages to talk about, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, mm. right? Sometimes I struggle with that too. Like, is God really here listening mm. to me? And what I love about this prayer, and maybe this is a great connection with that prayer in the garden, is that sometimes when we don't feel the truth of what we're praying, sometimes we need something to read yeah. through. And in the same way, when we're in some of the darkest situations like Jesus is, maybe all we can do is just read the prayer out loud and say, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, and this really is our life. Come and pray so you do not fall into temptation. And then he prays in his model prayer. Pray that the Father not lead us into a place that we can't handle. Maybe we have problems with prayer because we forget that prayer is a heart relationship with the God of the universe. And he invites us into it, just as he invited the disciples into the Lord's Prayer. This is how you pray. Maybe the garden prayer is another model of prayer that when we get off the rails and forget how to pray, we step back into the garden with Jesus. Father, take this cup, yet not my will. And in that heart relationship, we pray there, and that's what gets us going, just as it held Jesus to his Father's heart in the most difficult hour of his life. Okay, heads or tails? <laughs> what yeah. would you call heads? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think most people gravitate towards heads. I don't know why, but it just, when you said heads or tails, heads. Daniel, heads or tails? I was going to say tails just to be different, but the truth is, is I would probably say heads. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is very revelational about me. I would always say tails. Always really? say tails. You know what? I kind of <laughs> have thought about this. Why do I pick tails? And honestly, I think tails is prettier on a coin. <laughs> it's a piece of art. The heads is always the dude's head. You, know? <laughs> you don't have a Susan B. Anthony dollar? <laughs> or a Sacagawea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In coin language, they're actually called obverse and reverse. That's fancy language for heads or tails. Have you ever heard those terms? Yeah, right. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so I don't recall reverse. Yeah, yeah, I totally had to look that up. I would never have known that otherwise. But it's interesting. We can only pick one side. You know, you choose heads or tails. You know, what would it be like if you could choose both? Heads and tails. You'd win every time. <laughs> you would win every time. And, while and this you'd isn't, lose every time. And you'd right. lose every time. <laughs> while this isn't about winning or losing or chance, you know, but our conversation over the next several days is about a coin. And it's about both sides of a coin, which is a metaphor that's surprising and a little bit impossible in our human understanding. And yet that's kind of what's lovely about scripture and our relationship with God is we get surprised by what we get to have in that relationship. I've coined this phrase, the prayer coin, to describe Jesus' two-sided prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's really talking about how he prayed two things in one sentence. He prays what I call honest, and he prays Abandon. What is the specific verse we're looking at? It's Luke chapter 22, verse 42. What does it say, Bill? It says, Then Jesus prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Two sides mm -hmm. of prayer in one sentence. And what's fascinating, this prayer is contained in three of the four gospel accounts. It's contained in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And John refers to it. So it's mentioned in the fourth account. And that just blows me away. Why would God include this prayer? Of course, it's a very dramatic moment in Jesus' life. But all of Scripture is for us as well. So that's what we're looking at. Why? Why do we get heads and tails? How could Jesus pray both honest and abandoned? Yeah, I guess that means that all of the gospel writers felt it was that important. It stuck in their minds that much that when they were compiling 
their stories and their accounts of Jesus, they felt like it was so important to include. What's the honest? What's the abandoned? Thank you, Mart. I see this take this cup is what I want. Honestly, God, this is what I want. Take this cup away from me. And then he has this pivot of saying, yet, not what I will. And that's what I see as a kind mm. of abandon. And it's not abandonment of, yeah. we see that on the cross yeah. later. It's a, I'm giving over my will yeah. to yours. You know, anytime I catch myself trying to tell God what to do, I think, what are you thinking? Yeah. And I think that's probably an important distinction to make between Jesus and us. You know, Jesus obviously is praying this in the moment. And this is a very real moment that happens in a real story. At the same time, it's a model for us as we pray. And I think one of the differences is it often feels like honesty on one hand and abandon on the other. For Jesus, he's able to pray this honestly and honestly. Mm -hmm. Even though he is abandoning his will, he can fully, in faith, knowing his Father because he walks with his Father, say, let your will be done in a way that, you know, I lean more on the one side of the honest side. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll say, not my will, but yours be done. But what I really mean is, but can we stay on the honest side of, can you take the cup from me? With Jesus, I think he is saying both sides equally with equal force, take this cup from me or your will be done. Mm -hmm. Either way, I'm yours. This is a back to calling heads and tails at the yeah. same time. And there's something so powerful and to me shifting in this gutsy prayer of both sides at once. Mm. Let's orient ourselves to the setting of what is happening in this passage. We've pointed out that Matthew, Mark, and Luke express this prayer literally, but they also give us some context, as does John. Let's just quickly get the setting. Matthew 26, 36, does somebody have that? Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay. And then in Mark 14, 32, does somebody have that? Yeah. And they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. Hey, Mark, can you grab Luke 22, 39? Yeah. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Okay. Then in John 18, 1 and 2, see, it's so interesting. They're all describing this night. When he had finished praying in the upper room at the Passover celebration, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with some of his disciples. What do we know about what's happening and where this place is? Well, the name Gethsemane means olive press. Mm -hmm. And this all takes place, it's called a garden, probably better referred to as an orchard, an olive tree orchard. That's a Where the picture. olives would be harvested and then put into this olive press to harvest the oil out of the actual mm. fruit of the olives. And uh, it's and right at the base of the Mount of Olives. Right yeah, you're Mark. looking up to the east of this mount. It's a high hill, really. Yeah. And then across the valley, the Kidron Valley, mm -hmm. do you see the walls of Jerusalem? They would have seen there. And it had been right in the shadow of the Temple Mount. And then it cuts down into the Kidron Valley, as you rightly said, Mart. And then right there at that base, across the Kidron, is where Gethsemane would be. So it's kind of nestled between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. And where are they coming from? You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke spend less time on this. John gives us several chapters, mm -hmm. you know, in the last teachings of Jesus here. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the upper room where Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's instituted his supper, his memorial table, Judas has left to prepare for the betrayal, and then Jesus spends an extended time, as you said, in John's gospel, teaching his disciples about a lot of things, including the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he gets into the prayer in John 17. And he talks a lot about in that prayer about how he wants his disciples to be one, just as he and the Father mm. are one. Sometimes they would go back to Bethany and hang out there at Mary and Martha's house. But in this night, they're staying in the garden. And this is where Jesus, in this setting, prays Luke twenty two forty two, which says again, Daniel, Take this cup, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
we've led up to this. We've talked about how can he pray both sides, honest and abandoned. And I loved your honesty, Daniel, of saying I tend to pray more on the honest side and less on the abandoned side. I tend to pray, take this cup, what I want, God. Mm -hmm. And gradually I'll try to do the, well, it's not what I want, but what you want. Is that your default? (sighs) You just start out with the, you know, you should give this to God. Mm Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, you know, we start that way. And sometimes we get so exhausted, we just go to, oh, I can't figure this out, God, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. But what I want us to look at is that Jesus fully prays both. He's fully human and he's fully God. And my question is, well, of course he does. He's fully human. He's fully God. Of course he can do it. So why do I even think it matters? I remember reading Max Lucado sharing an illustration it popped for me i thought oh this helps me understand he said he was preparing for a funeral and he was looking at the verses that this family had given him to use in the service one was from psalm 23 1 the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he's okay i got that you know he's highlighting and he's writing on a piece of paper and then he looks at the next verse that the family had wanted him to include and he turned And he looked in the Bible and he realized it was on the adjacent page as his Bible was already laying open. It was Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes, oh, my word, in this open Bible, here are two apparently opposing concepts. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll never lack anything. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, meaningful scriptures in and of themselves. But he just thought the craziness of how scripture holds the tension for us. Mm Maybe Jesus being fully human and fully divine is something that we see in Scripture illustrated so that we can embrace the tensions of the apparent opposites in things like this prayer coin. Yeah, to follow Jesus' model and pray with honesty, Lord, take this cup from me. This is what I'd like. And then also abandon, not my will, but yours be done. That's what this series is going to help us do. Praying both sides of Jesus' two-sided prayer in the garden is what When We Pray Like Jesus will encourage us to do. Elisa Morgan leading the conversations in this series alongside Marty Hahn, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day here on the Discover the Word podcast. And the conversation continues in 60 seconds. A lot of times our conversations on Discover the Word are sparked by something one of the group members noticed while they were reading and studying the Bible on their own. And then they bring their observations, their questions, and their insights to the table. When We Pray Like Jesus came out of Elisa's study, became these conversations, and then turned into a book. As Elisa was reading through Luke chapter 22 and struggling with her own prayer life, you know, as we all do at times, right? Uh, Something in the text struck her And something her husband Evan said when they talked about it led her to an even deeper study. And this series and then the book are the result of that effort. So I'd encourage you to go to our website, scroll down to where you see an image of Elisa's book, When We Pray Like Jesus, and click on that link. There you can order a copy, and there's also an audio book and a companion DVD study. Start by checking out When We Pray Like Jesus on discovertheword.org. And now, back to our study together called, When We Pray Like Jesus. Okay, pretend like Jesus pings an invitation into your email, you know, an evite. Or maybe it's an old-fashioned invitation, a paper invitation with like a seal on the back, and it comes in your mailbox. You know, Mm. would you open it? Would you RSVP if it came from Jesus? I think I would hold it for a bit (laughs) in my hand. (laughs) Yeah, it could be a little intimidating, couldn't it? Because, you know, as you look at the scriptures, a lot of times when God invites people into stuff, it's not always real nice. (laughs) Good point. There could be some scary invitations. But in scripture, we also see some powerful invitations, invitations that are for our good. And we're actually looking at one of those in a series we're on called The Prayer Coin, an invitation to pray a two-sided prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when you say prayer coin, the last two days we've kind of talked about a sporting event and the two teams meet in the middle with the referee. The referee has a coin, one side has heads, the other tails. Visiting team what do you choose? Okay, flips it, and then they see who gets the ball. Now, this one's a little different because 
we're not actually flipping the coin per se. Yeah, and Daniel, you pointed out well in a sporting illustration, you can only choose one side, and it's a winning-losing kind of a gamble. This is anything but. I'm using the term coin to express two legitimate, awesome, and real sides of one prayer. Jesus prays both sides in one sentence, in one setting. My point is not that he flipped it in a kind of a gambling way. It's that he embraced both sides of this one prayer. I think it might help us if we actually read the context in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Want to start us off, um, Daniel? Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So three times he's praying, take this cup, yet not my will. But each time he comes to the disciples, and his invitation is just a tiny bit different. The first time is in Matthew twenty six thirty six. What is he inviting the disciples to do? Well, really, it's to observe. Okay. To be present with him in this hour. Good. Yeah. It's sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he goes on. And he comes back a second time. This is in Matthew twenty six thirty seven to 38. What is he inviting them to do there? In this one, he's saying, remain here and stay awake with me. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he comes back and he finds him asleep. And he says to Peter, couldn't you just handle one hour with me? That's a different kind of keeping watch. It's interesting to me. It's similar language to what John uses when he talks about the whole concept of abiding. Be with me abide with me. That word abide, what do we know about that word? What does that mean? To stay. Yeah. To dwell with. Yeah. And he uses the analogy of a vine and branches being connected. Mm -hmm. When you're apart from me, you can do nothing. So here he's inviting, be with me, stay with me. And then he comes back a third time in Matthew 26, 41. And what does he say there? What's the invitation to? Tells him to stay awake again, but this time, instead of them observing him praying, he says, I want you to pray. So stay awake and pray. And so that you what? You so, won't fall into temptation. And why is that important? Because the spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. <laughs> <laughs> so reminding us, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's asking the disciples to be present with him, that they don't fall into their own temptation. He's picked three of the disciples out of the group. He begins with the whole group, stay here with me and observe. But then he isolates Peter, James, and John. Why those three? They had been close to him, hadn't they, over the three years of his public ministry? Yeah. We see this threesome at the raising of Jairus's daughter from the dead. They're the ones that are included in that. We see the three of them on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Which is just prior to this yeah. little bit here. So there are some special moments where, for reasons known only to himself, Jesus pulls this group of three aside. I also think of things that are recorded in the Gospels that they said, these specific three. In Mark 14, 29, Peter blusters that even if everybody else falls away, I'm never going to fall away. You know, I'll never disown you. And then we see him in the courtyard denying Jesus. James and John had voiced a willingness to drink the cup themselves in Mark 14, 38 and 39. And then also Satan is referenced as saying that he wants to sift Peter mm -hmm. like wheat. Mm -hmm. 
in Luke 22, the temptation to fall away. Maybe there is some specialness there. I see a real illustration. You know, I know what my relationship with Jesus is like, and he knows where I'm tempted. Is there a universality of the temptation that is disciples But it makes it sound there from what you're saying that it, they almost had to learn something. They had to learn what they couldn't do, mm-hmm. right? Because there was a sense, I can do that. I can follow you. Mm-hmm. I will follow you. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Yeah. And don't we say that? We do. If that's the point, I identify with it because there's times when I feel like I don't have it in me mm-hmm. to say, nevertheless, not my will, mm-hmm. but yours be done. Yeah, that reminds me of um, the last few weeks. A coworker of mine who's also a good friend found out that his daughter, who just started college, this is her first year, She started having headaches, and so they took her into the emergency room and found out that she had a malignant tumor in her brain. And they removed the tumor and found out that it's the type of tumor that will be back. And I think of them when I hear this because they've been told that his daughter will only have anywhere from a few months to seven years, one of those diagnoses. And so when I think about this prayer, like I... I don't know that he can honestly pray, just like if I was in that situation, I don't know if I can honestly pray, not my will, but yours be done. And so I guess, at least it sounds like one of the things we have to learn is in our utter honesty of heart, there's a part of us that can only pray one side of this, right? I think both sides are as real in Jesus as they are in us. And that's what I want to pull out and look at this. He invites his disciples, his first century disciples, to pray, take this cup, yet not my will, to observe it first, to see him, then to keep watch while he prays it, and then to join as well. And each time they fall asleep, (laughs) they're shell-shocked, they're exhausted, they can't keep up. And much like your friend, Daniel, I mean, maybe we can get out one side before we cave. Well, and I think, you know, what you're talking about, I think what's so important to realize is that pain that Jesus is feeling. In this story we just read, he's falling on his face before God. You know, we talked about those close friends that Jesus had. When I read verse 38, what I'm seeing Jesus saying is, I am deeply grieved even to death. This is so painful that it feels like I'm dying. Remain here. Stay awake with me. I'm in the darkest moment of my life. But was it for their sake or for his? Yes. I think it was for both. I do too. Uh, I think it was for both. I think the disciples needed to see this Mm -hmm. happening, Mm -hmm. but Jesus also wanted their presence with him to share in that and to participate in that. But they failed. He didn't. They fell asleep. They couldn't hold and be present with him the way he was inviting them. But here's the thing. Somebody did hear the prayer. Because we have this prayer recorded in these three Gospels, verbatim. And Jesus himself prayed it in a repeated fashion. He himself prayed, take this cup yet, not my will. Take this cup yet, not my will. Take this cup yet, not my will. Three times. He didn't get there in one uttering. This isn't a formula. I think this two-sided prayer coin is an illustration of the intimacy that Jesus possessed with his Father, that he died to provide for us. The disciples heard it in some form, but it actually has taken millennia for us to understand that this is a practice, an honest and abandoned practice of growing into the relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father, the one that Jesus had with His Heavenly Father. This is the Discover the Word podcast with your friends Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And as part of our series called When We Pray Like Jesus, we found in that conversation that Jesus is extending an invitation to us, an offer to join him in praying both honestly and with abandon, surrendered to God. And maybe you're wondering what that might look like, what that might sound like when you pray. Well, throughout this series, at several points, Elisa is going to demonstrate how she might pray these two sides of the prayer coin in a specific type of situation. And so right now, Elisa, how about if you give us a practical idea of how you might pray the way Jesus modeled in the garden, both the honest and abandoned sides of prayer. How would you pray this way if, for example, you've been diagnosed with cancer? And you are going through all the pain and sickness and uncertainty that goes with those times of health struggle. What might that sound like? 
So it's like, take this cup of cancer, and you might pray, heal me, God. And then you go to the other side, not my will. I'm sensing a closeness to you that I've not felt before. Help me want what you want, even in cancer. And so then you go back and pray again, okay, take this cup of cancer. I don't feel like I can be effective for you, God, anymore. And then you go to abandon, not my will. I'm starting to understand that you can use my weakness as much as my strengths. Help me see how you can use even my neediness to engage others with you. And then back to take this cup of cancer. I long to be restored to my old way of life. And then obediently abandon, not my will. I'm seeing that my old way of life could push you away at times. And now that I'm becoming more dependent, help me be satisfied with your presence in this pain. All right. Thanks, Elisa. I think that helps a lot. And I think at points along the way, we'll have you do that for some other kinds of situations, too. That'll be helpful. And so are you finding it helpful to think of prayer having two sides, like a coin? Let's join the group as they talk about how coins are made. Do you guys know how a coin is made? I think the fancy word is minted. I know how a coin is spented. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a real coin or are these the plastic coins that my kids use? (laughs) These are real coins. And, you know, we don't use coins a whole lot anymore. Especially pennies, right? Right. But, you know, since ancient times, coins have been formed through a process of melting super valuable metals in an intense heat of like over 1,500 degrees and then pouring the resulting liquid into molds to form round blanks. Okay, then each blank is then sandwiched between a pair of dies with engraved designs. So a coin is minted when the blank is struck or or hit with a hammer, forcibly imprinting a different design on each side to create heads and tails. While the process is highly automated today, those elements of heat put into a mold, imprinted, and struck with some kind of force are the elements that mint a Hmm. coin. Why is that important? <laughs> well, I think prayer is kind of like this coin. You know, it's, it's, it comes out of heat when you're being it knocked around. It does. It comes out of the deep heat of life. And then we're imprinted by our faith, what we believe. And we come out into a, a more holistic piece of offering. A coin has two sides. We have two sides, multiple elements to our being. That's what prayer is about. We're using that image of a prayer coin as we look at a two-sided prayer, a prayer of Jesus that was formed, uttered in a very, very, very intense night in his life on earth. So it's not the coin that we flip. No. It's not heads or tails. It's not heads or tails. It's heads and tails. It's heads and tails. And we've been talking about how Jesus prayed two sides of prayer and how we can too. In fact, how in the garden, he actually models this two-sidedness. He repeats this prayer three times. And three of the four gospels share this prayer with us. And the fourth gospel, John alludes to it. So explain that two-sided prayer. What do you mean? Yeah, let's look at Luke 22, 42. And Daniel, if you just pull that up and read, this is in the context again, in the garden. And this is the two-sided prayer that Jesus prays. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Okay, so the one side is take this cup from me, And the other side that you're referring to is not my will, but yours be done. Right. Now, it's interesting to me because I was looking at the Matthew account while Daniel was reading the Luke account. And the Luke account says, Father, if you are willing. The Matthew account says, Father, if it is possible. Hmm. Now, those are two very different ideas. If redemption was going to happen, it wasn't possible. What wasn't possible? To let the cup pass. Uh Okay, so you're going deep into it really quick here. And, you know, in each telling... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a little bit of differences. And this concept of possibility is contained in several of them. If it's possible, if it's not possible unless I drink it, everything is possible. We're going to see those here. But bottom line, Jesus is saying, take this cup. So Daniel, you talked about the two sides. Take this cup, and the second side is not my will. And it's the cup of suffering, right? It's the cup of suffering. It's a word picture. Yeah. And we want to look at this first side today. We want to look at this, I want to call it, honest side. Take this cup. 
Please, God, take this cup. This is what I want, Mm. God. And going back to what is the cup, because we kind of gloss over that, take Mm -hmm. this cup. What is he talking about? Take what away? The way I look at it is for these guys who are watching Jesus pray in the garden when they're not sleeping, the last time they heard a cup talked about was at the Last Supper. Just a few hours ahead of this. And Jesus said, this is the cup of my blood which is shed mm-hmm. for the forgiveness of sin. And take this cup is still, it's a little bit removed from us, but when we think about it, this is the honest plea of what our heart's desires are with God. You know, I think of times when our children are in desperate straits because of their choices, times when we're in unemployment and we don't know how we're going to meet the bills, or times when our country is feeling like it's going mm-hmm. off the rails and our world is turned upside down and our values and there's no even safety. Take this cup is what Jesus is praying. But here's the confusing part to me. Didn't Jesus come to drink this cup? How can he pray, take this cup? Well, and that takes me back to the language we were talking about a few minutes ago. Daniel read from Luke, Father, if you're willing. Matthew says, Father, if it is possible. Mark says, With you, all things are possible. (laughs) And he actually uses the word Abba, Father, which is extremely familiar and intimate intimate that Jesus would say. So back to my question, I get stuck on John 18, 11. He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And I think to myself, he's settled in John, yeah. and this may be after he's yeah. prayed this prayer, so he is more settled and aligned. But Jesus knew he came to die on a cross. And it reminds me of the story where Peter tells him, no, 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 you're not going to die. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> yeah. Jesus calls him Satan, basically, because he's acting yeah. on behalf of Adversary. the enemy, trying to yeah. tempt Jesus away from that. But you have the people around him would have greatly accepted that, you know, yeah. We agree. Take the cup from Jesus because we want him to stay here. And so I think that's important. In John 18, we see the opposite, which is, again, Jesus coming back to, no, I know what my purpose is. He was so resolute up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's at the event of the arrest, which is after these prisons. So the wrestling match that goes on with the... if it is possible, if you are willing, all things are possible. That wrestling match is now settled. And that is so important because I think we tend to look at Jesus at the end and assume it was, quote, easier for him to say, not my will, than it would Mm. be for us. And what I want us to focus on today in this side one of the prayer coin is his honest expression. I mean, he's overwhelmed to the point of sorrow, to the point of death. He even sweats blood. We'll look at that in a little bit later. But this is an Mm -hmm. honest expression. Eugene Peterson in The Message translates Matthew 26, 39 this way. My father, if there's any way, get me out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we see that from Jesus' posture. You know, in Matthew, it talks about how he fell with his face to the ground. And Mark reiterates that same thing. He fell with his face to the ground. And Luke, it talks about how he he knelt down and prayed. Mm. I mean, Jesus is so honest and desperate for the Father to intervene in this moment that even his body is showing that as he gets on his face before God on his knees. I mean, sometimes we know what it's like when we're going through a rough time and the only posture we can have before God is a weakness of just laying down and saying, I can't do this. And take it even further. When I'm praying for an illness to be removed, for my child to be protected, for our country to be safe, whatever, I'm praying in my own torturous humanness, Mm -hmm. right? Here's Jesus preparing to drink a cup that he didn't deserve. You know, he's going to be tortured for something he's never done. He's going to be labeled and humiliated as a criminal for something he's never been. He's going to be deserted by his closest companions. He's going to be abandoned and separated from his father, whom he's never been apart from in that way. This is an enormous cup that he's facing. It's easy to diminish that and think, Mm. well, he was all God, you know, so he got Mm. that. But he wasn't, was he? I mean, we're told by Paul that when Jesus humbled himself and took on our humanity, our flesh, he willingly laid aside his complete knowledge of everything that, you know. Yeah, it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Mm-hmm. He laid mm-hmm. aside, the theologians say, his divine prerogative to know all things mm-hmm. or to have all power at his disposal. And yet he still was God. And I think that's where you see this extraordinary pressure that counterbalances with 
with you, all things are possible. But if it's not possible, yeah, I mean, it's just this tremendous tension that all lands in this cup. I think that's such a great way to put it, Bill. You know, that Jesus was able to not only experience, but express the tension that we go through of, I'm fully human, and yet I really want to yield to what is fully God. And Jesus somehow is able to do Mm -hmm. both of those because of his relationship with God. I think Hebrews 4, 15 really sheds light on this. This is a dramatic expression that echoes what Jesus was going through in the garden and the invitation Mm -hmm. that he offers to us to pray this two-sided prayer as well. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Might Jesus be a model of the kind of humanity that God intended for us? I'm going to unapologetically and without shame express my needs before God. And then he yields and trusts God in abandon, that God will bring the best out of it. That's a two-sided prayer coin. You know, that's a two-sided both and coming out of an intimacy that Jesus had with his Father, an intimacy that we too can enjoy, praying honest and then praying abandon. Yeah, just as a coin is formed under intense heat and pressure, the shape of our praying is often formed when we come to God in difficult times, praying both sides of prayer with honesty and abandon. Well, the group is back to wrap up part one of When We Pray Like Jesus after this. On the next Discover the Word podcast, part two of this study called When We Pray Like Jesus. And after having focused on the honest side of the coin in part one, next time we'll flip it over to the abandon side of abandoning our will to God's and trusting him to do what's best. But bottom line, when will this perspective be the most helpful? The prayer coin is a practice we must practice. Rehearse apply, carry out, no, no, make that live out. When we practice, it might just be that we don't simply get better at the prayer coin. As with any discipline, like playing an instrument, picking up golf or tennis or swimming or speaking a foreign language, we also begin to enjoy it more and more. Yeah, don't miss the conclusion of When We Pray Like Jesus on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now let's conclude part one by talking more about the honest side of Jesus' prayer in the garden and the honest side of our praying. You've heard the phrase honest to God. Mm. What does that mean? (laughs) And how honest can we really be to God? I don't think that that's what the phrase honest to God means. I think it means I'm saying this honestly in the presence of God. I think that's what honest to God means. Is it? Okay. I I thought it meant like I'm saying this in a way that's true to God true to God. I thought it was just a colloquialism that we use when we're trying to say, no, 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 I'm really being honest now. Yeah. 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 As opposed to all the other times when I wasn't being honest. Almost in a profane way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's almost like saying, as Mm -hmm. God is my witness. Yeah. You know, the Mm -hmm. Scarlet O'Hara. I'll never be hungry again. Yes. There is an (laughs) element of there is nothing false in what I'm saying. That's the claim, isn't it? I think so. I use the phrase now, let me be honest with you. And Basically, what I'm saying is everything else I've said to you in our conversation (laughs) is a lie. So now I'm going to start being honest. But it's the same thing, that Mm -hmm. phrase. Let me be honest. Yeah, but if I think about that and apply it to prayer, that phrase, honest to God, it takes on a different meaning for me. In what way? Well, I think, how honest to God can I be? And isn't prayer like the main place where we can be honest? In theory, yes. Mm -hmm. I think in practice... We have much more of a tendency to be honest with God in private prayer than we do in public prayer. That's a good point. I think in public prayer, we're trying to show something. Dress it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I struggle even in private prayer sometimes. You know, being fully honest, I hear in the back of my head all of the growing up in church hearing, you got to be respectful and honor God and all that. And so if I'm really frustrated with the way things are going... I don't know that I communicate that clearly in yeah. prayer sometimes. I feel that. And sometimes, you know, in my own thoughts, I think, 
I'm not able in my own strength, with my own mind, to pray in a way that's really true to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, don't we have to depend on his spirit even to pray? I think (laughs) so. Prayer is a process. As we're talking about the prayer coin, this two-sided prayer of Jesus in the Gethsemane garden, in the prayer there, we see him praying honest and we see him praying abandoned. You know, so take this cup, yet not my will. Two sides Mm -hmm. of one prayer. And he prays both of them. I've actually tried to practice this in a journal. One page on the upper left-hand side, I'll go take this cup. I'll put the date. And I realize my prayer informs my honesty when I'm on that left side of take this cup. When you say the cup, you mean all the things you yeah. wish God would do? Yeah, all the things I wish he would take out of my life, mm. struggles, and all the things I wish he'd put in my mm. life, yeah. answering prayers. And then on the right side, I might then put at the top, not my will. And there's an intentionality there too. I think it's a discipline because until I start praying honest, I don't often know what it is I really want or don't Mm. want. But there is a commitment, a pivot towards God's desires and not my will. That that goes even beyond honesty, Mm -hmm. right? It's a movement. But I think, let's say with honest today, Mm -hmm. yesterday looked at Jesus' honest prayer. He honestly didn't deserve to have to drink Mm -hmm. the cup of judgment and wrath and punishment. He honestly didn't deserve to have to be humiliated in a crucifixion as a common criminal and to be spit upon and to be rejected. He didn't take this cup is what he honestly prayed. Today, I want to think, okay, how can we also pray as honestly as Jesus did? How honest to God can we be? One of the things that the people of Jesus' generation would have had access to was not just the law and the prophets, but also the poetry, the Psalms, mm. and you get into the Psalms and you get a lot of people praying the honest side of it. They, sure they do. don't always end up on the other side with the abandon right. of the not my will, but yours be done. But you get a lot of people praying stuff How that's very long, honest. Oh Lord, and yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even angry prayers. At angry times you get prayers. the sense that yeah. there's, this isn't right, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How mm-hmm. can you allow this to happen? And within even the context that we've been describing over a few days, We have this very painful moment for Jesus, but one in which we discussed in an earlier program the invitation that he gave to the disciples to not just be with him as encouragement to him, but also to be with him to observe Mm -hmm. and to listen and to see the invitation that we ended yesterday with, which is, I'm praying this right now out of my pain. This is the freedom you have to pray this out of your pain. So good, Daniel. You know, Jesus is always modeling what he has with the Father and what we can have with the Father because of his sacrificial love for us. It's a both and, and we need to read all of the Gospels and all of Jesus' words with both in mind. So here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane with him, and he's praying, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, And he prays a very honest request, take this cup, and he prays this request in a very honest expression, like you're saying, Bill, howling out to God, as we would see in the Psalms. In fact, let's read Matthew 26, 37 to 38, and listen to the expression. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. To the point of death. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then does somebody have Mark 14? 33 to 34, this is Mark's expression of how upset he was. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Again, two different gospel accounts saying very similar words. To be sorrowful in this way is to endure severe mental strain. The words are used of Herod when he didn't want to take the head of John the Baptist, and yet he couldn't figure out a way to get out of it. The words are used of when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be betrayed by one of them, and they're used of the rich young ruler who went away Mm. sad after Mm. his conversation with Jesus because the way to eternal life was difficult for him to understand. They're heavy words. My translation has said in each of these texts that we just read, 
use the word crushed. Mm. So that, yes. Which yeah. is appropriate in Gethsemane, the place of the oil press where the so olives good. were crushed. Right? Yeah, right. So good. Right. Move on to Luke twenty-two forty-four, And what do we read there? And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you think he was literally sweating blood? I think he was. And part of the reason I think he was because Luke was a doctor. Okay. He knew what he was talking about. This is a real physical condition, right? And it can happen. There's a condition, I looked it up, called hematridosis, which is where the body is under such extreme stress Mm. that it actually sweats so much that there's particles of blood mingled in the sweat. Mm-hmm. You know, not all commentators agree yeah, on that. It almost seems like the translators mm-hmm. will say something like, as it were, great drops uh-huh. of blood. But yet, regardless, yeah. what does Mark fourteen thirty five say? Do you have that, Daniel? Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Okay, fell to the ground. Now let's look once more at another little section here. These, again, three Gospels with the same prayer, many verses expressing it. Mark 14, 36. Do you have that, Mark? Okay. Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take the cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So we've seen him physically overwhelmed to the point of death. We've seen him sweating like drops of blood. We've seen him falling to the ground. And now we see him verbally cry out. And what words does he use? Abba? He says, Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the first words a Jewish child would learn to say, Mama and Daddy, just yeah. like, you know, we say in English, and it would be Ima and Abba. So yeah. precious. But what's important to understand is that no Jewish child would call God Abba. But Jesus does. And you picture yourself, I don't know if you ever had the chicken pox or you're ever having, you know, the flu and you cry out for your mama, your dad. Jesus is overwhelmed to the point of death. He's sweating drops of blood and he's falling to the ground and he cries out, not heavenly father. He cries out in the guttural human need, Abba, father. And Paul picks up on that in Romans 8 saying, because of that, now we can cry to God the same way. Which is exactly the point for today, Bill. Here is a two-sided prayer, a prayer modeled by Jesus, a prayer illustrating the intimacy and the safety he has and how honest to God he can be, a prayer that he invites his first century disciples to join him, listening and observing, but then record and write down so that they and then us 21st century disciples might join him in praying this honest, this honest to God, take this cup. A powerful conclusion to part one of our series, When We Pray Like Jesus, as we talk about the two sides of prayer that Jesus modeled in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his crucifixion. And Elisa, I think at this point, it would be a good time to walk with us again through how you might pray both the honest and abandoned sides of the coin, this time with something like a job loss and all the uncertainty and anxiety that goes with that. What might it look like and what might it sound like to toggle back and forth between pouring our heart out to God and then expressing trust in his love for us? Okay, on the one hand, maybe you write in a prayer journal on the left-hand side under take this cup, take this cup of unemployment, give me a job, God. And then you go to the right side and you write not my will at the top. I don't want to work in a bad situation, though. Help me trust you to place me in your time in the best place for me. And then you go back to honest, take this cup of unemployment. I need to pay my bills, God. Back over to abandon not my will. You provide for me each day somehow. I want to be more in control in a more predictable situation. I see that. So help me to trust you to provide ongoingly. Back to take this cup of unemployment and honest. Okay, I want to do something meaningful with my work life. And then not my will. Am I trying to invent a place of significance for myself? Help me to define my worth and value by my relationship to you and how you see me. Great. That helps. Both sides of prayer can help us 
pray like Jesus. Thanks, Elisa. Well, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And be sure to catch part two of this series, When We Pray Like Jesus, on the next Discover the Word podcast. I'm Brian Henning. Thanks for studying with us. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.